Turn to Jude. Turn to Jude with me. Jude chapter 1. I'm not going to trick you into saying Jude chapter 2 because some of you will still be looking for it at the end of the service. It's not there. This is one of the, I call this the creepers. Uh, here's, you know, here's the thing. You always want, you always want your messages to be relevant. And I do. But I have been extremely, extremely fortunate that the churches I've been in, I have grown up in, uh, have been a part of, have pastored, we never really had an issue with false teachers. We had one, one time, and we eliminated that one pretty quick. But um, we still always got to be on our guard because... Um, the Bible is able to, the Bible tells us that the devil is able to transform himself into an angel of light. He is a wolf who comes in sheep's clothing. Everything that sounds right, everything that sounds good is not always biblical. Uh, I got a, got a text message a few weeks ago and it talked about a passage of scripture and the person who sent it to me said, I read this this morning and here's what it said. And it was one of those that you couldn't answer back. Typically, when I'm driving, I, I will, you know, I'll text it back like you're not supposed to. But I, I made a phone call because I said, L this is too hard to, um, hard to answer. Uh, and I want you to get the thrust of what I'm saying here because it is a good thought. But the fact of the matter is, it just don't say that. And uh, so we were able to have a conversation about what the Bible says, what it doesn't say, thoughts that people have. Listen, do not, under any circumstances, do not uh, develop your doctrine and theology around what somebody else writes. Always go to the Scripture. If it matches up with the Scripture, you know what, then, then it's dead on. If it's not, it may be a good thought, and it may make you feel good, and it may be something that you can throw out there. But the fact of the matter is, if it doesn't say it, then try not to read anything into it. We talked to our college kids this morning about how, how the Word of God speaks to us. It speaks a truth, and we make application on it so quickly. I mean, there is something that, that is not there that, that, that applies to us, and yet it doesn't change the, the fact that that's what the Scripture said. And then here's how it spoke to me in my, in my situation. Um, there, are, there are many, many people out there. The, the law of supply and demand is just as real in the church as it is anywhere else. If you are looking for something to make you feel good, if you're looking for something that will soften the blow of the Scripture, there's going to be somebody that will teach that to you. You can find you a church that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And so we look at this and we go, well, that's not us. We, we don't do that. Well, the fact of the matter is that you may come across somebody here before long who's in the middle of that, and you may need to talk to them about where they're at and what's going on. That's why he says in verse 3, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but I've written to you to contend for the faith. Struggle for the faith, okay? So this morning, the whole chapter's up there, verse 4 to 16 part of it. But we're going to look at really verse 3 and 4 this morning because I think there needs to be, okay, Gary, so what are we looking for? What does this all have to do with anything? What, what, what is people's main focus? Why, 
why do people go into the ministry to, just to make money? And yet they do. How do we know what's real and what's not real? How do we know whether what we're being taught is authentic or not authentic? What is that? And I think as we move into the days in which we live, which I believe personally are the latter days, there's going to be more and more and more and more of that, and we're going to be hearing more and more and more. There are going to be books that are going to be written. We're going to read those things, and, and they're, going to, they're going to speak to our minds, um, and, and, and a lot of it's going to make sense. But the fact of the matter is, y'all, you know, you know in the very beginning how Satan works. Jesus, think about it, Jesus is in the wilderness of temptation, and what does the devil do to him? He quotes partial scripture. And Jesus knew the scripture well enough to say, yeah, but, kind of got him straightened out. And by the way, if you want to defeat the devil in your life when he's attacking you, quote scripture to him. He hates it. He absolutely hates it. So get to know it. You say, well, look, well, look Gary, that, that was a long time ago. Well, the fact of the matter is it was a long time ago. It's still relevant today because, the fact, you know, it hadn't changed. It hadn't changed at all. The, the, ta- the tactics, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the moving of the devil uh, is, he, you know, he, he's pretty smart. Or we're pretty dumb, one of the two. Because we just buy into it, hook, line, and sinker, don't we? So... Jude has written this book to say to us, here are some things you need to be looking for. Here are some things that you need to be on the lookout for. Here are what these people do. They don't come in the front door. He says they have secretly crept in. I don't mind telling you, in a lot of churches today, there are churches who put a pulpit committee together, They go out and they find a pastor who tells them what they want to hear. And then when they call that pastor, they find out in no time, that's not the guy we called. Because they won't tell you the truth. They will will call around. They will get information about the church. They'll get information about the former pastor. They'll want to know what kind of church it is. They're looking for a job. That's why... Youth pastors don't stay in churches more than 18 months. And pastors don't stay in churches more than 30 months. But that's also why over 100 pastors monthly are getting out of the ministry. What's the deal? What's the deal with that? Well, the deal with that is, is that... There are some things that have happened in the church. And I, I want to read this quote to you. I think it's so important. And I don't remember exactly who it was that said this. But he says, if the word of God is taught in a church, then there is truth in there. Okay, you want to go find truth? Find a church that preaches the Bible. Number two, if the Holy Spirit is present, there is power there. All right? So you have truth. You have power. And if Christ is the builder of the church, then there is hope that's there. Hope, power, 
truth. And every time we come into a church meeting on a Sunday morning, that's what we, that's what we, we want, truth. We want the power of that truth to change lives. And I'm going to tell you what, in the day in which we live, we need hope. And if Jesus is there, if the Holy Spirit is there, if the Word of God is there, then God is there in the midst of it, and we have all three of those. But listen to this. These entities, the truth and the Holy Spirit and Christ, have been so neglected that these garrisons designed to hold off the entrance of the world have been so neglected that the world has entered the church without challenge. Sad state, isn't it? The world, the culture, has entered the church without challenge. We no longer ask the question, and we've been guilty of it too, we no longer ask the question, is it biblical? The question we ask now is, is it popular? And so Jude writes a little letter because all these kinds of things are going on. And he said, look, I want to, I want to tell you, I want to talk to you about contending for the faith. Challenge the culture. Challenge the teaching of the culture. Ta- challenge what people are teaching as truth when the bottom line is the Holy Spirit is telling you on your inside all the time. That's not true. So let's look at Jude 3 and 4, and I'm going to make allusion to um, some of the other verses as we go along. But I want to I talk to you this morning about the marks, the marks of apostasy. Who are these people that creep in? Apostasy, by the way, is a word that means to stand off from or to move away from. Here are people who have abandoned the essentials of the Christian faith. Now it's becoming pretty relevant, isn't it? We see it, we hear it all the time. They have abandoned the essentials of the faith, which Jude says was once for all given. If you're looking for something else, it ain't coming. It was once for all delivered. The word delivered there, remember we looked at last week, said it means to pass down. God has passed down his truth generation after generation after generation. And it is not to be debated. And it's not to be updated. So here you have these people who have crept in. What does Jude say about him? What what are the marks? Who are these creepers? First of all, in verse 3, if you'll notice with me, while I diligently tried to write to you about this common salvation we have, I found it necessary to write to you and appeal to you To contend for the faith which was once for all delivered for the saints. Now here it is. For there are some men who secretly have crept in. They were marked long ago for this condemnation. Now now stop right there just a minute because that doesn't mean that they were chosen for condemnation. It means that they were foretold about long ago. This is not something new. This is not something you haven't been told before. These guys were called out from the very beginning. Here's what's going to happen. So so in that phrase there, these men have been marked out long ago for condemnation. It just means that they didn't step in by surprise. We knew, Don't be surprised that they're here because you know what? We've been told they're coming. Now look at what he says. They are ungodly men. 
ungodly men who pervert the grace of our Lord into immorality. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, who, so what are the marks? Number one, the first mark is a, a sin of the spirit, irreverence. They are irreverent. People who are irreverent or people who are ungodly don't have the spirit. There's no spirit in them, okay? Number two, and he uses a different word there, when he talks about immorality, those are the sins of the body. The sins of the spirit, the sins of the body, and then the sins of the soul. They deny Jesus Christ. All right, so Gary, so what does all that mean? Well, here's what that means. Your body is the physical part of you. It's who you are. It's, 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 your, it's your physical characteristics. We can look at you and we can go, uh, you know, that's a male or that's a female. Now, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. But the fact of the matter is, is that God created them man and woman, male and female, period. Two genders. Okay? So, um, he talks about this, this, this matter of this irreverence. The, the irreverence of, 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 uh, of the things of God. Then he talks about the sins of the body. We have the body, this thing that we can see. The sins of the soul, the lawlessness, the denial of the lordship. The soul is the seat of your personality. Someone said, and I believe it's true, it is your soul, that personality part of you, that gives into the spirit part of you or to the flesh part of you. It's almost like this, this filter that all this stuff goes through and the soul is one that makes the decision, okay, am I going to follow God or am I not? Because the spirit is that part of you that is created to be able to commune with God, okay? And God breathed into his nostrils the pneuma of life and he became a living Spirit, our living soul, living person. When you got saved, God breathed into your spirit and your spirit became alive. Therefore, you became God conscious. Okay, does that make sense? Now, people who deny that, people who deny that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ commit sins of the soul, denial of the Lordship. Now, there's a difference between heresy and between apostasy. Heresy means to take or to choose. Teachings and actions that are not commonly received as doctrine, okay? That's heresy. Apostasy is to stand off from or to move away from what you know to be the truth. So, so there's a difference there. The, 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 the faith once, once professed is not professed anymore. Okay, so he says that here these men are, they, they come in secretly, they creep in, they're marked long ago for this condemnation, they are ungodly men, they pervert the grace of God into immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, the marks of the apostates. Now I want to look at these just separately, I'm going to go through them pretty quick, so just hang with me, okay? Number one, let's talk about the, the irreverence, the sin, the sin of the Spirit to begin with. Jude 4. 
The word ungodliness or impiety or irreverence is used some six times in these 25 short verses. Now, notice what the irreverent do. And I'm just going going to give you these verses. We don't have time to go through it. But number one, they revile angelic majesties, verse 8. They revile angelic majesties. They blaspheme angelic glories is is the, the more real translation there, okay? That, so they revile angelic or principalities and powers. Number two, um, they speak abusively. They speak abusively. In verse 10, that's verse 10. They speak what they don't understand. Okay? Number three, they do ungodly deeds. That's verse 15. Verse 16, they grumble and find fault. Think about that one for a minute. If, you, if you're a grumbler or a complainer, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm just saying you're acting like an apostate. That's what the Bible says. Don't do that. They mock, verse 18. It's an interesting word there because the word means that they toy with the truth. The word mock there, they toy with the truth. Do you know people that do that? Jesus is the only way to heaven. The, the virgin birth doesn't matter. Um, it's okay to lie if it um, uh, promotes your agenda. All those kind of things like that, you know, that, that you look at and they mock it. But, but basically what they're doing is, is they're just playing with the truth. Do you know anybody that's playing with the truth? Read some blogs. Turn on your internet and watch some of these preachers. Listen to your radio. There are people that are toying with the truth constantly. But there is a danger in listening to them. That's found in verse 12. They are hidden reefs in your love feasts. They're hidden reefs. You see, their teaching, their teaching leaves you on the shores of life wrecked. If I were to, as some people do, take out every promise in the Bible, I would probably have to tear out about half of this Bible. And when you come to the end of your life, do you want this Bible or do you want half of it? They, 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 leave, they leave your life on the shores a wreck, okay? All of these, listen, all of the, the devil's behind every bit of this. You think about the things that... That, that people participate in, even Christians. And, and I'll, just, I'll just use this example. Because we know it to be true. That the addiction to pornography in the world that we live in is about the same among believers and non-believers. It's alright just to look. It's okay just to take a glance. And then it leaves you in the wreck. It wrecks your life. Think about all these things that just are, are you know, I mean, I, I, my, my mind, when I think about stuff like this, my mind just starts swirling. I start wanting to throw all this stuff out. I know I don't have time. Think about the things in the past, though, that you didn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And yet we have legislators now trying to legislate it 
because it's profitable. If people are going to smoke marijuana, let's go ahead and legalize it. Let's, we can make some money off of it. They won't tell you that it leaves your life wrecked. And that's what Jude is saying. Listen, be careful. You young people, be careful what the world is promoting because it could wreck your whole life. And then he gives us examples of verse 5, the people of the Exodus. They didn't believe. What did God do? They were irreverent. Numbers chapter 14. We're not going to go there. Michael the archangel, verse 9, this, this example of the irreverence toward these principalities and powers. You know what, Michael? I'm Michael the archangel. When it came time to contend for the body of Moses, he said, you know, I'm not going to wrestle with you them. When contending with the devil in a dispute about the body of Moses. Now, let me stop there just for a moment. Because Jude is quoting from the book of the Assumption of Moses. You can't go over to Genesis and find where Michael and the devil were disputing over the body of Moses. As a matter of fact, when we get to Enoch, he quotes from the book of Enoch. You say, well, then that's not biblical. Well, it's in the Bible, so we know that it's true. Okay? Matter of fact, Paul... Paul quoted philosophers of his day all the time. But he quoted truth. What he was telling was the truth. This made it into the scripture because somewhere along the line, we don't have it in here, but somewhere along the line, Michael contended with the devil about the body of Moses. Why did he do that? Probably because we would have done what everybody else would have done. We would have made a shrine and worshiped Moses. But Michael said, listen, you don't fool with stuff like that. The Lord rebuke you. There are some things, ladies and gentlemen, you just need to leave to God. Let him take care of it. Some of this, I'm going to, you know, the devil comes at me. I'm going to get him in a headlock and and I'm going to tell you something. He's going to tear you limb from limb is what he's going to do. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. That ain't what he says. Submit yourself to God. And resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So, you know what? There are just some things you don't mess with. And then Cain, verse 11. The way of Cain is coming before God in worship with all of your talents and your gifts. But there's one thing lacking. That's your heart. The problem with Cain's... Listen, I I believe it. there, There were basically two things, I think, in Cain's offering. One is, obviously, it... Had no blood, had no blood attached to it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I mean, they knew that from the very beginning. But I think it was a heart problem too. I think Cain had a had a heart problem. The only thing that you can't do without when you approach God is your heart. Got to bring your heart with you, okay? So these apostates are guys who just have no heart. They don't have a heart for the ministry. They don't have a heart for souls. They don't have a heart for hurting people. They just, you know what? They, they, it makes them popular, uh, puts them in the spotlight, makes them feel like somebody important. But the fact of the matter is they're just like Cain. The, the gifts that they bring, God goes, I don't want that. Don't bring that garbage to me. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever left here and felt like you had brought your garbage to God? 
in your worship. You gave him all the leftovers, all the warmed overs. You ever thought about that? We do it every week. We do it all the time, don't we? The, the, the dangers, the examples of the irreverent. I, I, I like this phrase here. Listen, I love fellowship. Y'all know I love fellowship. But one writer said that we participate too much in fellowship with one another and not enough in fellowship with God. We love the party atmosphere. We don't like that solitude when that gaze is going, mm, it's burning a hole right through you. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? And then the sins of the body, the sensuality, license for immorality or sensuality, the sensual. Verse 8, by dreaming they defile the flesh, they pollute their own bodies. The word pollute there is an interesting word. It means to die, to stain, to pollute, to degrade. Verse 8, they defile they're destroyed by the things they instinctively understand, verse 10. Instinctively understand. Basically, they're destroyed by their animal instincts. Y'all know it. Y'all know people that don't, their morals don't ever reach a level more than an animal instinct. If it feels good, do it. Boy, that came out in my time. It became a big deal. If it feels good, do it. And we were bombarded with that. They destroy the things that they understand. They follow their own lust in verse 16. And their lust are basically evil desires, he says. They flatter others for an advantage, verse 16. The word flatter there is really the word that means admire faces. It's an interesting word, I thought. They flatter you, admire, they admire your face. By coveting others, they add to their own prestige, their prosperity, and their power. He says they are worldly-minded in verse 19. You know anybody like that? You know anybody who would... Whatever they got is not enough. Got to have more. Just got to have more. Got to have that. Got to have that. Got to have that. They can't put it off. Worldly-minded. He says there's some dangers to that in verse 12. He says they are shepherds who care only for themselves. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 talks about that one. Here, here, are, here are these people who care only for themselves. They're, they're here for number one. Number two, it talks about clouds without water. The other day, it, this big cloud came over our house. And Lee was so excited. We're going to get some rain. Oh, I hope it rains. How many of y'all have been there? Hey, I got a couple of little sprinkles on my windshield, and, and it was like, man, Christmas had come. By the way, you people who are fussing about being so dry are the same ones that were complaining when the flood ran through here in the spring. So, But you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. They make big, bold promises. But they just don't come through. False teachers withhold the water of life. 
clouds without water. Autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. They're not only dead with the fruit, they're dead in the root. There, there's, no, there's no ability for them to grow fruit because their roots are dead. There is no root. You say, well, make that a little plainer. They're not saved. Okay? Wild waves casting up shame. When tolerated apostasy and heresy litter the shores with shame. Example, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Balaam. You know those, you know those two. You know those two. Here, here's Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm going to tell you all something. It blew me away. It, because he talks in here about the angels that didn't maintain their, their, their first estate. The angels, verse 6, look at this. Likewise, the angels who did not keep their first domain, but forsook their own dwelling, he has kept an everlasting change under the darkness of the judgment. Find that over in the book of Genesis. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that sort of thing. And, and, and you know what happened there? These giant, this giant generations, they weren't, they weren't satisfied with where they were. Now, there's a lesson here because he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah right after that. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities in like manner gave themselves to immorality and went after a different flesh. They serve an example of suffering the punishment of eternal fire. I never saw this before until this week. Think about this for a minute. You know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? The two angels came. And they banged on Lot's door and they wanted to bring those men out. We go, well, yeah, that's a sin of homosexuality. Well, it is. But there is a possibility that they knew they were angels. And if that's true, then it hadn't changed a whole lot from the very beginning, right? So here's the deal. They became dissatisfied with women, then they became dissatisfied with men, and so they turned to principalities and powers. Here's what that is, young people. Here's what that means. Sin will never satisfy you. That's the whole teaching behind that. Sodom and Gomorrah, sin will never satisfy you. Balaam, you remember Balaam was going to, um, was going to um, curse Israel? And he was going to get paid for it. And he takes off and the animal that he's riding turns around and talks to him. You remember that donkey? Uh, and the donkey talks. You say, well, do you believe that? Well, yeah. Yeah, I do. And so he has to get another plan. And so here's what he says. He goes to the enemy. He says, and listen, I figured out a way to get around this. I figured out a way to curse Israel. Let him marry your daughters, which was absolutely, absolutely um, uh, forbidden. When I, was, when I was making my notes this week, I wrote this down. Young people, listen to me. Sex sells. It just does. Turn your TV on. Look at your newspapers. Look at your magazines. It sells. And the devil, I'm telling you, when we get caught up in that, I always say to somebody uh, when they say, man, I'm just, I, I got, man, I'm in the midst of this and I just can't get out of it. And I say, do you hear somebody laughing? Can you lay down at night when it's quiet? Do you hear somebody laughing? That's the enemy. 
He's got you right where he wants you. He has fooled you all along. Here is, here is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin never satisfies. Here is Balaam, who is figuring out every way he possibly can to make another dollar. Not happy with what he's got. Greed, self-indulgent, immorality. And then the last one, the sins of the soul, lawlessness. They deny the Lord. They reject authority, verse 8. That which true Christians affirm, Jesus is Lord, they deny that. Man's soul sin is denied the Lordship of Christ. They do their own thing. They reject authority. They boast about themselves. Verse 16. They're self-made, self-fulfilled, self-willed. Third thing to do, they cause division among believers. Verse 19. They're not satisfied just with making up the rules and affecting attention to and calling attention to themselves. They need and want a following. It carries with this idea. Look at verse 19 with me. I'm going to show you a word here, okay? Just, just for a second. There's these little. These are the men who cause divisions. See that word divisions there? It, it, it's a word that means to mark off or to cause someone to take a side. Y'all with me? To cause to take a side. Marking out their own followers. Examples of the lawless Israelites in the Exodus, verse 5. Y'all can go back and read these later, and we'll probably talk about them some more. Angels who didn't stay in their own domain, verse 6, we read that one. The rebellion of Korah, the rejection of God's leadership and God's leaders. Now look, I'm, I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to listen to this is not. This is not for self-preservation. Y'all know what happens when I come down here, don't you? You better listen. I'm fixing to say something. Be extremely careful going after God's anointed. Be extremely careful speaking against God's anointed. Be very careful criticizing and speaking against the men and the women who God has called. Korah, you remember? Out there, when they turned on Moses, do you remember what happened? Here's what God said. Moses, y'all go stand right over there. I need you to move. I need you to move right over here just for a minute. Boom, the ground opened up, swallowed every one of them up, closed up on, on top of them. Do not, do not rail and criticize God's anointed. Now, that may be self-preservation for me, so you know what? If you're going to fuss about me, keep your mouth shut. God may just swallow you up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We needed a moment to take a breath there, didn't we? Railing, railing, railing against God's leaders. Jude calls their speech back talk. Back talk. 
Why does man reject God? Because he doesn't want God's rule. Now, lawlessness has two basic denials, okay? You say, well, who are the lawless? Two basic denials. Number one, the God of the book. And number two, the book of God. Lawless ones are those who blow off the Scripture and the importance of the Scripture and what the Scripture has to say. The God of the Bible and the Bible of the true God. A denial of God and the Bible have led to a loss of authority in the church. The church has lost its authority because preachers have been too scared to stand up and say, Thus says the Lord. The Bible says. I don't mind telling you. There's been times I have, I have, y'all don't know the struggle sometimes when you stand up here. David, I know you felt it. Tony has, Paul has, Dirk, Bill, when Bill, Bill, when Bill teaches, those of you who teach, Branna, you know, when, you're, when you're teaching those, those covenant classes, and I promise you, when you open the Bible and you go, thus says the Lord, Something in the back of your head goes, now be careful because somebody may get offended. We don't want to run anybody off. We don't want to make anybody mad. Let's see if we can soften the blow a little bit. And we walk away ashamed because we have just bought into a lie. Y'all been there, Tony? You been there? When you just knew, man, just hammer it home, hammer it home. And it's like, oh, but... When you want to get on somebody's sin a little bit or the scripture gets to it and all of a sudden you know somebody who's sitting there is right in the middle of it and you go, mm-hmm. We had a lady in our church several months ago, been a, been a good while back, who said to somebody else in our church, that preacher got up and told my whole story this morning. He, he, he singled me out. He called me out. Because he knows my situation. And he just preached about my situation this morning. And the answer that was given to her was, well, what you got caught up in happened a month ago. These messages have been playing for three or four months. But God knew you were going to be sitting here this morning and you need to hear that. So look, if it steps on your toes... And you say, you were talking to me this morning, then chances are I probably was. Let me just finish with this. There's a man by the name of R.A. Torrey. A lot of you have read him. and He wrote a book about D.L. Moody. Uh, and it was called Why God Used D.L. Moody. He has a chapter in his little book called Humility. And this is a quote from R.A. Torrey's book. The entire shore of history of Christian workers is strewn with the wrecks of gallant vessels that were full of promise a few years ago, but these men became puffed up and were driven on the rocks by wild winds of their own raging self-esteem. We need to be careful every day. So, Gary, what do we do? Well, you know, it's pretty simple. It's really, it's really pretty simple. 
when you get right down to it. What's this whole thing about? What are we talking about? What do we need to be careful of? What, 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 what needs to be important to me? Well, here it is. There was a man by the name of Charles Berry. Charles Berry was a, an old liberal preacher who um, just compromised. And he had a lady who was dying in his, in his church, and he went to see her. And she said, oh, pastor, please tell me what I need to do to get into heaven. Charles Berry didn't know what to do. And so he said, well, look, you, you've been good. You, you know, you, you, you've come to church all your life. You've grown up in church. You, you, you've lived a good life. You're okay. And she said, no. That's not enough to get me in. Tell me how to get to heaven. And Charles Berry struggled because he knew in his heart and in his mind he had never preached a message about how to get into heaven. It was always about how to live a good life, uh, how, how to be prosperous in life, how to, you know, how, how to make it in this life, how to get along with people, 15 principles, how to raise a kid, but never a message on how to get into heaven. And after a little while, he said to her, you're going to be all right. She said, no, I'm not. I need you to tell me how to get into heaven. The story goes that Charles Berry sat back in his chair and thought for a minute. His mind racing, trying to think of something to help this lady. And he said, all I could think of was a song my mother taught me years ago. And I just quoted this to her. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. She said, that's it. That's it. So the next Sunday morning, Charles Berry gets up in the pulpit and begins telling the story about this lady. Told a long story, told about what he had been through, how he, how he was raised, talk about where he had been. And here's what he said to his congregation. He said, after I finished that verse of that song, she got in, and I did too. Folks, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, listen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You want to be saved? Do you? Then you know what? Don't listen to all these principles, one, two, three, four, five, how to live a good Christian life. Come to Jesus. That's it. Come to Jesus. All the stuff we've looked at, all these people that are trying to think of a better way, God gives us the better way, and the better way is His Son, Jesus Christ. 